0: This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Derek, that's Winkler, that's Horn, and today we're digging into Matthew 6. Uh, Derek, go ahead and lead us off reading verses 1 through 4. Who sees in secret? We will see that again here in the scripture. But my question that I had here, and this was my initial thought, not that I'm trying to contradict scripture by any stretch, is it is better to give humbly, but what about inspiring others? Now, there are people that they have a PR team. So I think about athletes, where you see these athletes. Let me back up even one more step. Um, There's a team that I won't name, so I don't throw anybody under the bus, but it's someone I knew that worked for this team. And their players get paid to go and do visits to hospitals and to you know children's shelters and like they they get paid to do that right. And the players were complaining that they had to go to this children's hospital to hang out with kids that like had cancer because they had stuff they wanted to do right. And so that already made me mad. And then it was like, wait, they get paid to do this. That kind of makes me mad too. But then you'll hear about these athletes that maybe it's after they've died or after they retired, or you'll just see this random story to where it's like, they went to the hospital after the game in the middle of the night to see a kid, to give them a signed bat, to, you know, take him the game ball, to do all these different things. They didn't take a picture for Instagram. They didn't take a picture, uh, for their, their PR firm to use. It's just found out later. And then sometimes when these people die posthumously, they found out, wow, they gave away all this money. And they did all these things and they, they did all these make a wish events and they requested that the cameras not be there. And we hear stories like that and we're like, that is amazing. How humble. But then there's another part of me that's like, what if they just, okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, let's, take, let's take pictures because there's a lot of people that have money like I do that aren't going to be inspired to do this because they're asked by the organization. But if they see me doing it, they're, they're going to be all about it. So I'm a little conflicted on this.
2: It's a spirit led thing to me. Um, my wife worked at Children's Hospital in the oncology ward as an RN. And, you know, she grew up an OSU fan, and Bob Stoops would come up there all the time, like once a week. Like just even during the season, he was there all the time. And there's a whole story that goes behind it if you read Bob Stoops' book about why he did it um, and why he continued to do it. But she said he came up there, he brought players, he knew every kid by their name. I look at that and I go okay if it's spirit led the word will get out and it will inspire people. I think I mean you got to have to I think in your humility when you do contribute or you do those things. Let God take care of the inspiration and keep doing what the word says. I think if because I do think there is a there is a a, a counterbalance here, you know, okay, there is the inspiration thing, but there's also the idea that well if they're supporting the organization I don't need to, you know, uh, how often do we read about, oh, you know, so-and-so executive from this company, uh, gave a, a $500 million endowment to Harvard again, you know, and they're sitting on $50 billion and it's not really anything that they're giving. It's actually more of a, a, a contest. It's a competition. And so I look at it and I go, eh, I think you can do it and not worry about inspiring others, because I do think if you are giving, it will inspire others. There's ways you can frame it where, hey, we've been supported by a lot of people in this group and then other people get called to it. You, so you can do it without specifically calling people out, I think.
3: Derek, what do you got, man? I don't think to add. Really, nothing to nothing add to, add to oh, that. man, I, I think of I think of uh, virtue signaling. Hey, uh, you I'm with a Boston <laughs> accent, so I to go. Uh, virtue signaling. Um, man, we went to a church that was really capable of virtue signaling a lot in regards to politics and social issues. But one of the things that kind of just like. Got under my skin. Like I, I, am a firm believer of giving and doing for others, and um, you know, I like to do it without anybody knowing. Like if I buy a meal for somebody at a restaurant, I tell the waitress, "Do not let them know who it came from." Mm-hmm. You know, because who you know you know who they're going to thank instead of me, they're going to thank God, and that's who I want them to thank. Mm-hmm. You know, because God's using me as a means for them. But we would do, we would pack like meals for like homeless people. And we would go through and we would spend four or five hours packing meals for homeless people on this Sunday. And, um, I just remember like, Hey, we got done. Everything was great. said a prayer moved on like a week later in the local newspaper, there's a picture of the pastor with his arms just out. And there's us down there doing the meals. And he's like Mm this. And it's like this church packed 30,000 meals for homeless people. And it was like, a an article in the paper. I'm like, this is a tiny church. Like, this isn't like, this isn't like a large church in our area. This is a tiny church of like a hundred people. It's like, how does the word get out about this tiny church Mm -hmm. doing 3000 meals or 30,000 meals? Like really, how does it get out? And it's just like, no, I mean like there, he was very notorious for shouting from the rooftops, what we did for, for the poor and for the less fortunate. And it's it's like, can we just take a step back? Like, I want to look at a Facebook page from a church that shows the gospel and shows people doing stuff, worshiping God, not, hey, what's the virtue that they, they surpass this week that makes them look good, and so they can shout it from the rooftops.
2: A.B. Bruce has a really good quote. Uh, show when you are tempted to hide. Hide when you are tempted to show. I mean, to me, it, it is, again, it's spirit-led. Like, yeah. if, you, if you feel tempted to kind of shy away from it, then you should probably be saying something or showing it to people. If you feel tempted to show or say what you've done, you should probably be hiding from it.
0: I'm gonna say one of my least favorite words in the English language right now, but I feel like it's very nuanced. And this is why I say that. <laughs> um, so I know we make fun, of Joby and all that kind of stuff, but Compassion International, that's an organization that basically helps kids that are very destitute, uh, getting them food and tuition, and all kinds of other different stuff. And of all the churches that do organized drives for Compassion International, Church of 1122 down in Florida does more than anybody by a mile, by a mile. And he's very proud of that. And he'll mention that. And I think once a year they do a compassion night, which this is actually a really great way of doing it because they have those packets with the kid's picture on it and all that. And so what Joby will do is he will bring trash cans into the sanctuary And so once you get your packet, you've got to throw it in the trash on the way out. If you're not going to like, you know, hop in and and do the thing with that kid. Some people are like, like, that's manipulative. It's like, no, he's like, it's like, what is it? Dave Ramsey's like, you know, when you, when you lose cash, you feel it. But when you like make a bad purchase on a credit card, it doesn't really feel the same. And so for him, it's like, I want you to feel it. So I like hearing that there are churches out there that sponsor X amount of kids And that that is inspiring other churches in that area. Like, okay, if that church can do it, like we can do something like that. Maybe not in the same numbers, but they're being faithful to God in this way, using their excess to do these things. So again, I'm still conflicted where I think, I think it comes down to the whole, what's your heart? What's the posture of your heart while you're doing it? It's the same thing whenever people have asked me before, like, is it satanic to do yoga? It's like doing upward dog, the pose, is not satanic, but if you're doing upward dog facing the east with your ponytail hooked to a tree, then you're doing an om and you're trying to talk to like the the sun god about how to, yeah, 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 you're 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 dabbling in some pretty satanic things there. Yep. So I think it's the posture of your heart while you're doing it. Are you doing this so to be braggadocious, so people will look at you and say, hey man, that that those people are really crushing it, or are you doing it to be like, look, you can do this too? And I'm just proud of our congregation. I'm just like, if if the four of us or all the people that do the forging table got together to do something, I'm probably going to brag about it on the show. Not so people would be like, hey, man, we're the best and we want to tell you why. But it's like the same reason why I'm doing the forging table to begin with. I want guys to be inspired to do their own forging table. They thought they, you know, they weren't smart enough. They didn't go to Bible college, so they can't study the Bible or lead a Bible study. It's like, sure you can. And so it's like, should I have kept this? under wraps? Should I not be recording this right now? Again, I don't want to be too ridiculous and expand this, this ripple effect out, but I'm still conflicted with the, the the strictness of reading this literally, if that makes sense. I think the great thing
3: about that, if I, I look back at the situation we were at, like I think posting it in the newspaper or on Facebook, like I think it's a little braggadocious, but if that pastor wanted to be like, Hey, send it out to his buddy pastors who aren't doing the same thing, like in an email being like, Hey, this is what we did. I think it's really awesome. You should reach out to this organization and try to set the same thing up. That makes more sense. You're, you're, you're building the kingdom. You're not, you're not being real braggadocious about it. You're trying to push an actual message. But I mean, how many people read that in the newspaper and were like, Oh, I'm going to go to that church, you know, or I'm going to go and do what that church did. Probably not a lot, you know, they were hoping, but we didn't see a big congregational upshift. I'll just
1: point out what I I just kind of noticed again. It doesn't say if you give to the needy, but it says when you give to the needy. So it's not like an option, I guess. Yeah. You know, you don't have an option. Yeah, you don't yeah. have an option. <laughs> you, you better do it. Yeah. You better do it. Yeah.
3: When you give it. No, but compassion, I love compassion. That's great. Uh, I uh, I adopted a kid from, I'm not trying to be braggadocious, but like I just think it's funny. Because before I was married, before we had kids, I like... Adopted one of those kids from a uh, uh, Jeremy Camp concert, like back yep. in like 2007. Yeah, we, did the, we did the same thing, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was DJ like, I still, I still, uh, yeah. Bites Charles Darwin Kanja. I was like, that dude needs <laughs> the Lord, <laughs> you know. And you so, picked
0: him on purpose. Yeah, I did. I was like,
3: I was like, boom. Um, but no, he, uh but like, I still have him. Like, he's yeah. going through college. Yeah. Like, the dude's like 20 years old. I was like. I was like, man, how long are these kids on here for? I was like, I'm not taking care of my kid after 18, <laughs> you know? So you should start paying but, me back. But <laughs> no, but like, I will say like, we would give money, like extra money for like birthday or Christmas like that. And I was like, he'll send pictures of like all the stuff that he got with it, like food, like yeah. always gets food. And I was like, you know what? That's what I love about compassion is that they didn't just take the 50 or $75 that I sent and just like scattered it amongst everything. Right. They gave that kid the $75 and he went and had a good time. Well, to this end, I mean, again, going back to,
2: you know, should we, should we be advertising it? I look at that case. You've been supporting a kid till, you know, somewhat since, you know, for a very long time. And now he's 20 years old. I think the hope here is, okay, who, who's going to be inspired to give now? Him. He will. Yeah. He received. He was needy and someone, someone helped him. And you would hope that he has a little bit better life than, than what would have been mapped out for him uh, and would have the opportunity to actually give further. So again, it's, it's why I see, again, I, I look at the ones where um, I read this book, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell and he was talking about giving towards the, or I think it was maybe a podcast, but he was giving, he was talking about the endowments that are given to these huge colleges and the, uh, you know, Harvard's and Yale's and Princeton's are getting these, they got these multi-billion dollar endowments. Okay. And most of the kids going there don't need help going there. So what are they using it for? Yeah. There was another guy who owned a engineering company and he donated like, I think it was like a hundred million dollars to this small college in West Virginia that did engineering and supported all of these kids coming through on scholarships and grants. And uh, and it ended up making this enormous impact on these people who would not even have had the opportunity to go to a college like an Ivy League school. I think when you look at scenarios, like again, when you're giving, what are you giving to? And I think if you're giving it in the right direction, it will inspire people further to give. It may not even be right now. It might be that next generation. He might have inspired by him giving that. Hopefully he inspired three, four, five, maybe if they go on to be the same as him, mm-hmm. three or four or five of them come back and say, yeah, I'm going to give a bunch of money, maybe not to my school, but I'm going to find another small college in need and actually do the same thing. Yeah. Give it to UCO.
3: I can just say like, <laughs> go Bronchos. 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 Uh, I, I think the most beautiful thing about it is like when I get my letters from him, Mm -hmm. And how he's like praying for health and he's praying for you and he's throwing out Bible verses. And there's just a deep connection with God that these kids are learning. And I was like, you know what? Like sometimes I get frustrated. I'm like, man, dude's 20 years old. I'm still sending $40 a month, you know? But it's just like, man, look, look what that organization is doing for this guy. Like this is going out and reaching the world. This is going out and reaching the unchurched. And I just think it's a
0: beautiful thing. So Compassion International, you have not given a to Life any money, but you just got a 10-minute long commercial <laughs> for your use. So you're welcome, Compassion International. Joby,
2: send me some information. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Hey,
0: let's get the links out there. Uh, I want to move on to the Lord's Prayer now. So verse 5 and 6, Winkler, if you can read 5 and 6, I have one comment, and then I want to get to the rest of the prayer. Sure.
2: And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you.
0: So there's a who sees in secret again. Uh, Derek, to your point earlier, the second word is, and when you pray, not if you pray, if it's convenient. Um, But... Some people think that this is condemnation of public prayer. I remember when Tim Tebow, uh, when he was at Florida was praying on the sideline and you know, people would throw this scripture out at him in press conferences and say, Hey, you know, and these are non-Christians saying this, Hey Christian, you shouldn't do this based on what this book I don't believe in. And so it's (laughs) like, okay. But the thing is, is Jesus isn't, he's clearly not condemning public prayer, like as evidenced by the fact that he publicly prayed multiple times. The, the thing about it is where you're you're broadcasting your prayer to sound awesome yeah. and i love tim tebow's like he, he was so good with the media with basically mm-hmm. no training but he basically said like i would go to a place on the sideline a sideline with hundreds of people on it mind you a place where no one else was i would kneel and pray i can't control where they point the cameras okay yeah so the cameras find me show me on cbs you know we're about to go over there and and we're about to play auburn and here the the cameras are focusing on me and it's making people hate him and oh he's the worst and he's bringing attention to himself he didn't like look up at the camera guy and say hey hey, i'm about to pray in 10 9 Mm -hmm. 8 and then get down like he wasn't doing that he's like i'm not serving y'all I'm not serving the television station. I'm not serving the Florida Gators right now. I'm serving God. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time with him before I go out here and get my 14th concussion this season. And so like that, that's the the very important thing about this. This entire thing is the point is, is when people start doing these grandiose prayers specifically, so people would look at him, uh, look at them. That is, that's the point that we're talking about. Um, Ryan, can you read? Seven,
3: yeah, I was going to go off of something you said. Yeah, go ahead. Know, but I, I grew up. In and a then very- when you're
0: done, read seven through 15. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, I gotta, read a lot. I gotta read yeah, a lot. you gotta read a lot. Don't <laughs> mess up. Uh, uh, yeah,
3: uh, I grew up in a very charismatic home, and so like people would like to pray out loud like all the time, and like I think that's the thing that you bring up about Tim Tebow. Like Tim Tebow went to a corner; he can't control where the cameras go. But imagine if Tim Tebow were like they're interviewing him, and someone's like, you know what, just had a rough day, and he's like, all right, let me pray for you right now, and just like on air, just starts like. Lord, we come to you right now. And I just like has this elaborate prayer. I mean, I think that's what Christ is talking about here. Like I, I run into it all the time where someone's like, yeah, I'm having a tough time. But then there's that one person that likes to pray extremely loud in front of everybody. So they know that it's being done. And I think that's what he's talking about in re- regards to giving to the needy. It's like, you're trying to bring the attention onto yourself right? and you're not bringing the attention back to God. So
0: this is something that I do before you read, uh, starting in verse seven. Um, and I've said this before, So whenever I go to a restaurant, I have a habit of this because you've ordered your food, they make your food, they bring it to the table, and what does the server ask you before they leave? Do you need anything? Yeah, do you need anything else? Is there anything else I can grab for you? And in Oklahoma, the only answer is ranch, please. Yeah, because we put ranch on freaking everything. But in that moment, I've gotten in the habit of doing this for years and years and years. I say, hey, my family and I are about to bless our meals. Is there something we can pray for you about? Love it. And most people would never do such a thing, but the worst case scenario is they punch you in the face, which has never happened. Like the worst thing that's ever happened is someone goes, mm, no, thanks. And then they just walk away. But again, they're in a professional capacity. They want a good tip. And so I've had everything from, um, no, but thank you. And then they walk away and I've had people be like, oh, and they take that deep breath. Their shoulders come down. That tension is lifted and they're They're like, like I had a guy, I remember this guy, this wing place, my favorite wing place in Oklahoma city. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, chicken and beer or something like that. Chicken beer, chicken, uh, chicken beer. beer and best wings in Oklahoma city. And this guy goes, today is two months sober for me, man. And I have to stay sober to, to stay in this house that I'm in. I'm kind of like in this halfway house thing. And like, you know, this is, I have two jobs and I'm just trying to keep myself busy. And man, dude, that's so awesome. And it's like, I could have just said more ranch, please. But in that moment I was able to minister to him. And most of the time they don't stick around for the prayer. Right. And they don't have to most of the time they just take off. Recently I was having dinner with Joby in Jacksonville did the same thing. We're in a private room and, uh, the, the guy comes out and this is a nice restaurant. So they're, they're being over the top with, and this is a, this, and this is a, this trying to be fancy. And I asked the the kid, Hey, can we pray for you? And he goes, my neighbor died yesterday. And I was kind of close to him and you could tell he's trying to hold it together cause he's at work, yeah. but it's like, it gave us an opportunity to minister because I just said, yes, Lord, I will ask this very awkward question, seemingly awkward question, but like, it's already a private setting, even though you're in an open public restaurant. Like I'm talking to this person in this one moment trying to minister.
3: Did you go out in front of everybody in the restaurant and pray really
0: loud? No. See, like if I had gone up to everybody and went like, okay, and I'm yeah. looking on the yeah. glass guys, I'm yeah. about to be, uh, you know, morally superior to everyone. I am praying three, two, one, shut up. Yeah. Like that's, that's the difference there for sure. That's totally right. So, uh, read starting in verse seven, go through uh, 15, please Ryan. 15.
3: All right. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do their trespasses your heavenly father will forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses
0: so that's the lord's prayer we can see in verse 7 uh, for they think they will be heard for their many words that's kind of an admonition of these lengthy poetic prayers um, and then he gives us an example prayer that is short it's very short starts with an invocation our father in heaven hallowed be your name and then there are six petitions. Uh, The first three petitions are for God's preeminence. And the second three are personal needs, you know, in kind of a community context. So petition one, your kingdom come. Petition two, your will be done. Petition three, on earth as it is in heaven. Petition four, give us this day our daily bread. Petition five, and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. Petition six, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's something that I want to talk about, though. I'm going to go back to the third petition. Uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So it's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. What this necessarily begs, actually, let me, let me back up a little bit because I think y'all know where I'm going. I'm going to go back to the word hallowed real quick. So if you go to a church where they start the sermon off or the, the prayer off with daddy God or <laughs>
3: Abba, Father,
0: homeboy Jesus or Jesus is my homeboy, that's not what hallowed means or hallowed. Like that is of, it's almost like the Jews in terms of like Yahweh, like they wouldn't even say it. Like hallowed, it's so high of a name. Like again, when you're talking about God, he's not your buddy, okay? He's the creator of the universe. And if you say, yeah, if I were in front of God, I would say this, you would say nothing, right? Because you would burn up in his presence, right? Mm -hmm. If he showed you even a fraction of his light. But now let me go back down to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a dividing line there earth and heaven. So we're having to pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which implies to me that in heaven, his will is done, but on earth it is not. Even saying it out loud, I feel like people are gonna be like, Kyle's a heretic. I'm just asking the question. I'm you know, I'm just Columbo. I'm just asking questions, but where do you guys sit with that? Because I remember the first time someone said, hey, do you know why Jesus told his followers to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because his will isn't done in heaven or on earth. Mm-hmm. Because if his or His will was done on earth, we would still be in the garden, right? And so we get into a lot of problems about sovereignty and a lot of ickiness about uh, God's foreknowledge and what he's able to do. Capable of doing you got, you can even get into a deist argument that hey God just set everything into motion and now he just doesn't care he doesn't really you know intercede he set it into motion and we messed it up so take that wherever you want to go because there's a lot we can talk about with that
3: I think it really comes down to submission to God's plan and purpose um, I think He has a plan and purpose for Earth and we have to submit to that we have to know that it's not going to be our doing like we brought up uh, uh, last week what Shane Claiborne and how he talked about Isaiah um, his whole tag mark of uh yeah, turning, turning two. yeah yep. turning uh, uh plowshares and or turning swords into plowshares it's he's trying to bring what God wants to bring on earth, and he wants to do it on his timing and on his thoughts and not on what God's plan is. He's not submitting to that um, and so I think that's what we have to look at is that we have to submit to God and like starting out the prayer and submission, I think is a huge thing because we're coming, we're coming from a humble place uh, to God because, you know, especially in our society now, I mean, everything's about me. And so to humble yourself before God and, and and submit to his design and submit to what he wants done, I think is, is a kind of where they're going with that. But in regards to heaven and earth, like, I, I'm sure heaven is so much more better than what it is on earth. Um, and God's plan at someday is that we will all come together. So I, I would kind of see where you're going for, with that. But I mean, I, I haven't thought that deep into it. I yeah, haven't
1: either. <laughs>
3: well, I mean, I,
2: Ryan, you kind of made a point here. I I, I think point? we, you did. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. F- your first point. I'll high oh you. Five you. I'll okay. high five you later. Uh, no, I think there's a really, I think we have a tendency to get really focused on ourselves uh, when we pray. I mean, even prayer requests themselves are a me focus. Typically, I'm having this struggle. uh, I have this problem. This person's suffering, uh, and I want it to stop. And so when I taught my daughters to, because, you know, I'm trying to teach my kids how to pray, and, and, you know, to be perfectly blunt, I struggle. I mean, (laughs) I. I always say like, what's the worst sentence I can hear? Can you pray for us, Jake? I, I, I hate it. I, Cause I just go, oh, like I want to say the right words. I don't want to, you know, and, and it's like, it's off the cuff. I, I mean, look, I mean, I showed up here today with like piles of notes. I just don't like to look foolish. And so I'm afraid that if I go ahead and start praying that I'm going to say the wrong words, I'm not going to say the right thing. And somebody's going to be over there going, whoo, I could have done better than that. And you're probably right. I mean, it's off the cuff. Uh, But I've been teaching my daughters, like, okay, how do you pray? And I said, well, pray. Praise, repent, ask, yield. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, start off by giving thanks to God. Confess your sins to God. Then start asking for what you might want, and then you have to yield it to him. It's not save them. It's your will be done. Yeah, And so... There has to be, I think, when we, st- when we pray, there has to be a much, much, much bigger focus on God. I also would like to point out the whole hallowed be thy name. It's huge. Y- 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 your Jews would not say God. And as a matter of fact, like when John is talking about in chapter three, kingdom of heaven, they would swap out heaven yeah. for God. Yeah. yeah. They would do that because they were just like, I can't, we can't say it. So him saying kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. was a good call. I mean, it was a great call for the Jewish people, but the other gospels will actually use kingdom of God a few times. You'll see it in Matthew again, and you'll see it in Mark and Luke. But again, it's, it's hallowed. You, you, who are you talking to? The, literally the creator of everything. Mm-hmm. An all-powerful, all-knowing, not bound by time, not bound by space, God. And we're just talking to him like,
3: what's up, homie? <laughs> and that's, that's what I love about the Psalms. Mm-hmm. If you go and read the Psalms, like the first part of the Psalm is always worshiping God who he is. I mean, that's where we find the qualities of God. You know, that's where we find who he is. And it's always worshiping him for who he is. And then David might go into some trouble or peril or, or asking for something. But we have to acknowledge who God is. We have to acknowledge him for his attributes. And I think doing that within prayer Starting out that way kind of brings a hallowedness, a holiness to who God is, and then going off to the the bullet points that you went off of is a great idea of prayer because I, I like you am not the best prayer. Mm-mm. You know, like I I Kyle's gonna hate me for saying this. I'm gonna be like sometimes when I pray I let go and let God. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm I fine like, with that. I let go and like oh, I, there's some truth in that. It's just like I let the Holy Spirit fill me and I and I hope that God has me put out the right words that I pray and um but sometimes you know like when i find myself praying especially when i'm dealing with anxiety we'll go into anxiety in the in in later in this uh, chapter but um i i find myself just appreciating god for who he is and his attributes and i find comfort in that so go ahead Derek. yeah
1: Yeah, i was just just gonna add yeah i kind of struggle sometimes when i pray with my kids almost every night i repeat myself all the time and you know he don't heap up empty praises or whatever praises I don't think that's what I'm doing, but sometimes no. that's what it feels like. I'm teaching, I'm trying to teach my kids, be thankful for the sun, the moon, your bed, our yeah. house, all that stuff. But every night I'm doing, I'm like, man, am I saying like, I, I know it's not the way it is, but sometimes it feels like that.
0: Well, that's part of the, the of catechism, like catechizing your kids, like whatever, cause James and I started praying together when he was like before two years old and right. stuff like that. And it's like, you know, used to, he would just repeat me. So it's funny, Jake, you talked about, did Did you pray 4th of July or did?
2: did I did. Okay. Russell called me right <laughs> okay. out. I so like, I, no, I thought no. so.
0: I thought so. But did you remember hearing some laughing during your prayer? I hope not. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, there was laughing going on because what was happening is my son was doing what he does with me every night when we pray, where I will say a line and then he will repeat it. <laughs> And then, so he did that when you were praying and all the moms, like Kelsey started crying. Like she thought it was just the cutest, sweetest thing in the world. But I will say, dear God, dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this day. And then I'll, and now I've started to ask him, Hey, who do you want to pray for buddy? And then he'll just name his friends from school. And you know, and then if he leaves someone out, I'll be like, okay, now, and let's pray for mama and dada and grandma and grandpa and our dogs. And like, but it's like part of it's praying for people. Part of it's saying, thank you. but. That when you're catechizing them, like you're doing it over and over, like he's, this isn't saying, Hey, don't say the same words over and over.
3: But that's one thing to look at in this prayer. It is known for its brevity and simplicity. Right. And it's like, it was like listening to a child pray is probably like the most beautiful thing ever. Like listen to my five-year-old daughter pray. She's like, dear Jesus, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for my house. Thank you for, you know, food. And like it changes every day, but she's talking about what she's thankful for and and knows what God provides for.
0: And you're just putting those seeds out there. And again, and again, on the whole prayer thing, I kind of have the opposite problem of you Winkler. And I, This may sound douchey. I hope it doesn't come off that way, but it's like, because I've been given the gift of gab and, you know, being able to talk and, you know, just flow and use all these words connected to where it sounds like mildly coherent. Whenever I pray, I have to be like, Hey, tone it down. Mm-hmm. This isn't big word time. This isn't like make your five bullet points time. This is just prayer. So when I pray over a meal, it's quick. Yeah. Like I just get it, get it out there. And I typically in the same way, Derek, I will say, <clears throat> thank you so much for the blessings that you've given us that we can see, but especially for the ones that we cannot, because it's like, we're blessed a lot that on the stuff that we recognize, but How else are we blessed? Like, I think about this all the time. Like, I'm the guy that, you know, I get out to the truck and it's like, crap, I left my keys inside. So I run back inside and get my keys. And so I'm leaving the house 30 seconds later than I would have. But what if I would have been at that intersection where the drunk driver was blowing through, blew through the red light? I would have been at the front of that section and would have gone and then I would have got hit. I think about those times. I will never know until maybe when I get to heaven. All the times God was like, we're just going to move this puzzle piece over here. We're just going to move that chess piece off the board now. And like, but it's like to my redounding benefit. Um, We got to keep going or we're going to be here all day. We've just done the first section. So let's talk about fasting a little bit. Whoever wants to read 16 through 18. Volunteers are welcome.
1: I got you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you.
0: That's the third time, your Father who sees in secret. So I was just going to open this up to a discussion because I think the next section where we're talking about, you know, laying of treasures in heaven and then anxiety, I think we're going to have a whole lot there. Uh, I've done the Daniel fast before, and, you know, it was just doing my best to not be like, oh, I'm fasting right now. But I've intermittent fasted for probably five years now and so like i like i get hungry obviously but i've I've got so much experience dealing with being hungry and it's like i typically wake up and lift or do jujitsu and then it's like five hours six hours until i get to eat so like i'm fine like but there are people where it's like oh my god i haven't eaten in four hours i just don't know what's gonna happen and like it's a it's a little bit different for different people but for me I, i will say that i didn't Again, I don't have a long history with fasting. I didn't really get the whole spiritual component. It was more of a mental component mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I'm hungry right now. Okay, pray. You know, God, what are you trying to show me right now? And then I felt like he was showing me ribeyes. And then it's like, crap, I'm hungry. And then it's like, you kind of see what I'm saying. So I, didn't, I was just curious what y'all's experience was. I think,
3: I think we moved away from fasting. And I think it's something we need to come back to. Like you said, like I've done the Daniel fast, but when I was doing the Daniel fast, it wasn't about necessarily like trying to draw closer to God and trying to draw something out of it's it. Because everyone was, else at the church was doing it. Everybody at the church was doing it. You know? And so like I think like doing a personal fast and trying to draw close to God is something that we should probably start doing a little bit more or or learning more about because I w- I felt pretty convicted reading that. And the fact like I haven't I can't remember a time that I've fasted to just draw closer to God and like put him first over whatever I'm going to fast against.
2: So For Lent last year, so I I take a very, I mean, again, I was raised Catholic, so we did Lent and we gave up things and, you know, it's just kind of been part of my life for a very long time. What I would say is I look at fasting not just as something that it's, it's not just food. It's, to me, it's anything that you feel like is getting in the way or could be getting in the way of your relationship with God. and. Replacing that with time with God. Uh-huh. So this last time, this last Lent, I actually went and said, "Okay, I'm giving up YouTube. Like, I'm not watching any YouTube with the exception of I have to fix something in the house and I don't know how to do it. So that was the only time I was allowed to do it. Otherwise, can't do it. Um, and so, what? In, and I, okay, what am I going to do instead? I'm going to read read books spiritually, and I'm going to read the Bible more regularly. Um, I do think that when you do fast, I think there has to be a spiritual component to it. Otherwise it's kind of, it's you're, you're just not eating or you're just not doing this one thing. But I do feel like, you know, there's a, there's a way to fast and to get, give up different things because all fasting is, it's basic to me. It's, it's, all about trying to draw closer to God. Mm-hmm. That's the main goal. Also, every time <laughs> I wrote this down, you ever get the feeling like when people start complaining about a fast, you ever get the feeling that God is saying,
3: yeah, I know it's hard. Shut up and just do it. Like when I see somebody <laughs> complaining about a fast, I'm like, Oh, well, I see who it's about. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that's, this what, is and super that's what, for you. that's what Christ is talking about right here. You know, it's like, when somebody's making their fit, they want, they want the attention on themselves and they're not putting the attention onto God. Derek fasting.
1: Yeah. I don't have a lot of experience. Uh, I need to, I need to be better for sure. So you're just
3: naturally
2: skinny. Good for you.
1: <laughs> I do the intermittent fasting. I, I, that's, that's for myself. But I agree with
2: you
3: and it shouldn't be just about no, food. No, it's not. It's not. You know, I'm sorry, you know? Derek. No, I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're Go It shouldn't be just about food. I mean, there's other things to yeah, fast for sure. From. You know, we, I mean, I'm sure if they
0: had a TV at that time, maybe they fast from TV. Yeah, they had to fast from like throwing rocks or whatever. What did people do for fun back in the day? Like I tried to think about No video games. People. No, <laughs> They stoned people for fun.
3: Okay. I mean, we had gladiator <laughs> games back then. I mean, like literally what they did for fun.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. Well, guys, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, try grabbing some stones. stones? Stone yeah. your neighbor. Um, all right. Next section here. Let's read verses 19 through 24. Whoever wants to hit it, go.
2: Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money.
0: So, a lot to be talked about here. Here, here's my struggle. And again, I'm not contradicting Scripture. I'm just trying to be open with my struggles as I also try to Google stuff at the same time, which is not very helpful. Um, I feel this constant nag in me. Cause where is it in scripture that says, um, he who does not provide for his family is worse than a Mm non-believer. And so how do you provide for your family? In a lot of ways, part of that is money. So like I always get, you know, those really emotional commercials or videos where it's like, you know, I worked all the time and then, you know, a family member got sick. And then I, I realized what was important to me in life. And then they like take the rest of the week off work and just sit at home with their kids. How long can you do that before there is no home to hang out with your kids inside of, right? Mm -hmm. We all love to eat food and live indoors. And so you can't just spend 24 seven with your kids studying the Bible and playing in the park at a certain point, dad and or mom and dad got to go to work. Like they, they got to make money so that provision can happen. And so there's a very fine line that I feel like people try to tread with this particular scripture to where it's like, okay, I'm trying to provide for my family. I'm trying to provide not only an income, I'm trying to provide something that can be passed on to future generations. But at what point is it idolatrous and not provision? Mm -hmm. At one point, am I storing up treasures here on earth that moth will destroy? Like, is it sinful to buy the Can-Am or to buy you know, a a new hunting blind or the new hunting rifle or the new car? Or at what point is it idolatrous and not just, hey, the Lord has blessed me and this is what I want to get and you give plenty to charity and you give plenty to other people and you write enough checks. Like you kind of see what I'm saying. There's a lot of dissonance here. Yeah. Especially yeah. in the community we live in.
2: Yeah. I mean, materialism is alluring. I mean, cause that's really what you're, I mean, that's what you're fighting against to me is when you're accumulating these treasures, you're fighting against materialism. I mean, that's, that's where it becomes idolatry is when the focus is more on what I own as opposed to what God has given me. Um, You know, but you know, why is it that we pursue these things? I mean, there's security, there's personal worth, esteem, and value, there's power. There's, I mean, there's power that comes from financial uh, independence. Yeah, uh, sure. And there's independence. And then there's the pleasures that actually, you, you know, I can take this trip. I can, I can do all of these things that, you know, I would not be able to do. But, you know, I th- I, if you're going like, well, what's the bench? I don't know if there's like, okay, once you cross this amount, dollar figure. It's now a problem. I don't think there is. It's got to be different for certain people. It is.
0: I remember hearing it was, uh, it was one of Joe Rogan's friends, but all of his friends were having dinner and they, they're all wealthy Mm -hmm. people by any standard. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of talking about money and they were kind of asking that question, Winkler, where it's like, Mm -hmm. what, how much is enough? And somebody piped up and just said, when you can go to just about any restaurant, order what you want and not worry about the check. Mm -hmm. Like anything beyond that, is just extra like you're just you're thinking up things that you can spend money on thinking up investments but you know for for them now that could be different for other people but like for them it was like the moment you can just go go out and eat and these were all people that didn't come from money and so for them they always had to worry about what things cost and so i know it's contextual to the person but again i kind of struggle with that because like there are things that i would like that take money to purchase and i'm like is this a a moral thing for me to even want that is this a sinful desire to want that thing because my buddy has it and I think it would be nice if I had it. You see, you see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. Derek? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to like we were saying earlier. It's a, a kind of a heart issue. Where is your uh, is that is that your focus, your motive, Mot- your motive? Yeah, just to get stuff, or is it? I've been blessed. I can afford this, and I can still do all this other stuff. I don't know. Uh, how to weave that into yes, it's right. Yes, it's wrong. Or no, it's wrong. But yeah, I'm, I'm it's, it's a line you got to walk, I guess.
3: I'd have to agree with you. I think it's a motive that it comes down to not a benchmark of what to amass. Like is your motive to amass earthly wealth? And if that's your motive, you have a heart issue. Yeah. Um. You know, like God has blessed us, our fam, my family um, with more than, than we need and we're able to give and, and do things um, that most people can't do, right. you know, but my whole motive with my job isn't to amass more money. Money is great. I like money. Um, but my motive is to build relationships. And, and that's where I find, that's where I find my gift. That's where I find me wanting to do the job that I do, even though I don't love it all the time. But what I do love about it is the relationships that I build. And so with the money that comes with it is just
0: Something to top it off well I think there's there's a major problem that I think we would all acknowledge about prosperity mindset uh, I'm going to become a Christian and then God'll give me the Cadillac, but there's also the poverty mindset, which is very dangerous as well to where Christians think in and of itself having money is a bad thing. but look at all these organizations name your favorite Christian 501 C3 There are very likely donors with deep pockets that give them lots of money so no. that they can minister to the poor to the widow and the orphan think about the christian ministries that you know a, you know a few months ago with the, the maui uh, fires and, and mm. all those types of things and, and the devastation we're still finding to this day the stories of just absolute and total devastation there were christian uh, mission groups on the ground the same day the fires were raging to start ministering to people what do you think they were getting their supplies with they, they weren't getting it with thoughts and prayers. And, and I'm yeah. not meaning that to demean thoughts and prayers. They had to use money to buy the bottles of water, yeah. to buy the, the soap, to buy the diapers, to buy the food. And so, like, this idea that if Christians have money, that that's a bad thing. But obviously, the posture of your heart towards that money. Like, if you have a lot of money and you think, this money is going to protect me, yeah. this money is going to save me. Like, if you're putting your faith in salvation for, you know, you, the good works that you've done to amass this great wealth. That's a major issue, but for Christians to have money, like it's the same thing when people are like, wow, well, ah, you know, Christians shouldn't be in the public square. Christians will say that they're, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about with salt and light. It's like, wait, so you only want atheists running the government. <laughs> that, is that, is that what you're communicating? It's kind of the same thing. Do you only want atheist charities? mm because yeah, no. like, like there, there are some Christian charities that are supported by onesies and twosies, but a lot of these people, it's because they're getting people write enormous checks. Yeah. And that's yeah. not in and of itself a bad thing.
2: Like Psalm forty nine twenty, 20 uh, a man who has riches without understanding is like beasts that perish. I think it's, un- it's, it's key to understand why you have been blessed with the wealth that you might have. It is not yours. It's one of the things I, 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 I try and tell my daughters, you, you know, my, we do pretty well for ourselves and you know, we just built our home and, and one of the things I told my wife is, Hey, if we're going to build this, we have to bring people in. Like we, we don't just get to live here on our own. We gotta, we gotta host a lot of stuff uh-huh. um, because this is going to be a, a gathering place Uh, and a place where we can bring people in and hopefully minister to them and bring them to the Lord. Uh, But there's also the idea of, okay, what are we going to do with all that? I mean, what do you do with what you've been given? Um, And to that end, you know, we have all the nonprofits and the 501c3s that you mentioned. What about just your church? I mean, there's people who are needing you, who need you in the church. Imagine if churches functioned the way that they were supposed to, and how healthy our communities would be if, like, yeah, you know what? I need something to eat. I need some healthcare. I need all of these things. I can walk right into this church and find help immediately. Mm-hmm. We don't function
3: that way, but we should. Yeah, we should. I think I, I, what really steps out to me is, you know, for where your treasure is, your your heart will also, you know, it's where where is our treasure? What is our treasure? And where is our heart with that? And my treasure. Should be to see the gospel preached among everybody, among the world. And is my money going towards that? Is my time going towards that? If it is, that's great and it should. But if I'm also being blessed financially at the same time because of the other job I do outside of that, my treasure, you know, my money is going to go to what I treasure the most. And it's, you know, my treasure isn't to amass more money. My treasure is to
0: push the gospel. That's good stuff. I wanted to throw out as well, verse 22 the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So one quick thing is uh, the eye basically reveals the quality of the person's inner life. So if you have a good eye you know, you basically have clear vision. If you have a bad eye, there's moral corruption. And also we see Jesus say this in Luke 11, verse 30, 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Uh, therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. And so I'm Kind of attracted to that because again, equipping people to push back darkness. I, I look for examples in scripture of when darkness is pushed back. So that's a good thing that I want to talk about before we move on to the very last section. So, Derek, if you wouldn't mind uh, bringing us home here with 24 through 34. 25 through 34,
1: rather. Right. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink? Nor about your body. What will you put on? It is Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith! Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear?" For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But think, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble.
0: I mean, there are so many things here, <laughs> nuggets of wisdom. I mean, which of you, this verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? Um, you know, when you're talking about the birds of the air, neither sowing nor reaping, but they they have enough food. Uh, you know, this is where you get the, the expression, oh, oh ye of little faith, oh, you of little faith. Uh, verse 32 The Father knows that you need them all. When you're talking about all the things that you need, He knows that, right? Um, But then there at the beginning, or at the very end, rather, verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I struggle with this a lot. Now, some people have like, Actual clinical anxiety, like they have some sort of physiological issue that causes them to not be able to regulate their negative emotion that expresses itself as anxiety. I don't have that, right? I don't need you know pills or special you know prayer groups for that. But I'm constantly worried about tomorrow, um, when you're running a business and you can only eat what you kill, um, which I've been in that setup for most of my career that's a that's a very stressful place to be where you find yourself almost worshiping at the altar of closing the sale or getting the deal or getting the donation or whatever because it's like, that's my ticket to eating and living indoors. And, but in addition to the anxiety of provision, I have the anxiety of comparison to where it's like, this podcaster just sucks and he has twice the size of my audience and why I ought to, and it's like, I've created this anxiety and even when I'm working with my, my voice coach, uh, you know, as I'm trying to rebuild my voice, he's like, how you have so much tension. And, you know, he's, he's talking about my voice and the muscles around my voice, what the muscles I use to phonate. And he's just like, everything about you is so like tense and just squeezing and grabbing. And for me, like I will find myself th- this morning at church, I'll have my fist just balled. And then I'll kind of realize what it is. And then I kind of look down and like release my hands and you see the blood rushes kind of back in your hands. Like I just carry around this crazy ginger tension at all times, <laughs> but it, it causes tremendous anxiety. And, um, and again, I don't mean like anxiety, like I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, I can't breathe. But it's just like, it causes me to really be worried about tomorrow. Can I do what I need to do in the gym? Can I do what I need to do at jujitsu? Can I do what I need to do in my marriage and my family and my relationships? Am I this? Am I that? Am I, am I doing the right steps? And I, I just wanted to take a little time to do that soliloquy because I know there are guys in the audience that are having that same struggle, you know, because whatever their setup is, they're feeling the tension. And as a father and as a husband, you should feel that because you shouldn't just feel like willy nilly. Cause if you're feeling willy nilly, you're probably not checking the boxes you need to. Cause your life's a little bit too easy, too easy. But you know, that's just kind of confession time for me that as soon as I read this, I just like, ugh, you know, kind of put my head in my hands. I was like, bro. Yep. Me, me yeah, all day.
3: Yeah. Nothing you need to confess. We see it.
0: Yeah. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We know when you're upset. Yeah. No one like, needed to we- be let in on that fact.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true though. I mean, I, I bring it up. You think it's a joke, but we talked about a couple episodes back about being in a group and being able to be open with each other and talk about those hard things. And sometimes when we see that, cause like, I think we know each other as friends and we know each other as, as men. And like, when I know Kyle is quiet and he's not joking, there's something going on. There's a tension there. And so I think that's where it's time for me as, as a, as a brother and as a friend to step up and be like, Hey man, what's going on? you know, how, how can I help you? What, what, what can we talk about? Like today we talked about life insurance when I could have been like, dude, what's bothering you? But then sometimes I'm like, maybe he doesn't want to talk about it. So, but well, life insurance is an
0: important conversation. Guys, if you don't have <laughs> any, you're an idiot. <laughs> well, so. yes,
3: but, but yeah, but I just yeah. wanted to point that out. Like, cause we, we should be able to cast our anxieties on each other. Not only are we casting them on God, but like he gave us a community for a reason. And that community is one to worship him and two, to help us find what's right. And what is biblical and what he, he has for us to provide comfort. And as, as a brother, I should have stepped up today and I should have said, Hey man, what's going on? How can I talk to you? You How can I pour in your life? Yeah. Shame on me. Shame on me. You know, and then I made it and then I used it to make a joke. And you're just failing all kinds of stuff. But you got me
0: a t-shirt a few weeks ago, so it's (laughs) like it it works (laughs) out okay.
3: But no, but I think that's the thing is like with our anxiety, it's something I deal with too. But I always feel better once I go to God or I go to somebody and I can talk to them and they can breathe life into me through God's word.
2: We've been crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. That's beautiful. Thieves of joy. We just, we are constantly wondering what we missed by not doing certain things in the past, and we are constantly worried about what decisions lay ahead of us in the future. Let, let go and let God is a fun little saying, but I think it absolves us of way too much. There's work to do. I mean, we are not absolved of work. Let go of your anxiety. Let go of the control of it, but you are going to
3: have to work on what God wants you to do. But I think in that let go and let God yeah. is like, there's going to be work, but you got to let go mm-hmm. and just trust in him. That's it. And well, that's the, that's the let God, it's like putting your trust, like back to the Lord's prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, I'm putting my trust in you.
0: Well, and so I wanted to kind of throw this out there. Your will, because. Derek, you're like, you're very prolific. You have like 17 kids. So you probably don't remember a time when you didn't have children. <laughs> same um, same mom. Four. Know, four. Same mom. You know, same mom. Four-ish. Winkle, how feels many like Just two. Sometimes okay. Does, just I got I tapped 2 out. Quick. got two. Ryan's got four. Yeah. You're, I got you're, three. <laughs> you're daddy over here um, in a lot of ways. Um, but I can say this. So my wife and I were married for 13 years before we had our first kid. He's just, just over three years old, James. And I remember up until the point we had James, you know, guys have different fantasies. Some guys fantasize sexually. Some guys fantasize about a world where they're in power. What my fantasies would always go towards was, what if I had started this job at this company when I was 22, graduated top of my undergraduate class, and I went to go work for... Name a company, mm-hmm. and like, what if I had been, you know, so around here, Paycom's a, a big company. What if I had started a Paycom when there were like 14 employees, and now they're like this mega traded on the New York Stock Exchange company, and I would be like a VP by now. And this is what life would look like. What if I had done taking this route? What if I had, you know, tried to go be a Green Beret out of school? What if I had tried to go to the the Naval Academy? What if I had tried to? That's why where I would always go. And I would always be like, okay, well, I could have gone to Annapolis and still somehow, like if I knew it, I could have came back to Edmund to meet my wife and then convince her to move out to Annapolis and it, it would all worked out. So all my scenarios, my wife was still with me. But the moment we had James, all that stopped. Mm-hmm. Because at that moment, it was like anything, the butterfly effect. Like if we had zigged instead of zagged at any point along the, along the way, I don't have James. It. I could have finagled my way into still having my bride, but I wouldn't have had James, wouldn't have had Eli. I even think about it in terms of my dog. My dog is my best friend in the world. Like When that dog turned three, I started being emotional about the fact that that dog was going to die someday. And like just thinking about it, I'd be like, okay, don't talk about it, don't talk about it, that's my dog. But it's just like, I wouldn't have Roman. I wouldn't have my dog because everything would be different. So that, that revelation and that mind shift, that complete change in my brain happened right at that moment when we had our first kid and so i'm like what is the next thing i should be looking for where that will just clink and be true with all of my life to where it's just like dude you are where you are right now because so right now i'm like gosh what if i had started my podcast when i was still an undergrad mm-hmm. right because i was listening to podcasts then there was only like 12 of them available but i was listening to them it's like what if like what would the world have been like you know what if i had started my youtube channel when no one knew what youtube was and like now I'm doing those types of things to where it's like okay i I wonder if I could have still had Kelsey and the kids and have done this, but that's how anxiety and this type of comparison model manifests for me, and I'm just waiting when does that other shoe drop to where I'm not like looking backwards and with regret but looking forwards with excitement if that makes sense yeah
2: yeah i mean i'll I'll try and share i I'll, I'll try and be brief because I know we're getting close to the end here, but uh five, five years ago, uh, when my mother passed away, you know, she was given a diagnosis and she was given six months to live. And I was working at a job where every busy season I was working 80, 90 hour weeks for six, 12 weeks out of the year, uh, especially in the fall. And I went through the fall was working all these hours that after she had gotten the diagnosis and I told my bosses, Hey, she got six months to live. This is my last like holidays with my mother. I want to make sure I can spend some time with her. Didn't matter. Didn't care worked anyway. And came back after Christmas and was just like, I'm quitting. I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving. There's no point in me being here. They don't care about me. And I remember going through this whole process and just starting to interview and I get an offer from another company. And my wife goes, she goes, you're making all these moves. Have you prayed about any of this? I said, no. um, And so she goes, you should probably start with that. So I prayed. And I had this offer letter in my hand. I had already gone and taken it to my boss and said, hey, I got this offer. He asked if he could have the weekend to see what he could do to keep me. And I felt I heard really clearly from God that you're supposed to stay. And I said, I come out of the room. I was by myself, came out of the room and tell my wife, I have to stay. So I te- he was working on a salary increase and everything. And he says, I texted him immediately. I said, hey, just so you know, whether you can do anything, I'm staying. Doesn't matter. I have to stay. And he was real relieved. And then we uh, fast forward uh, three years later. I work harder than I ever have. And we hit the, I'm sorry, two years later, harder than I ever have, hit the pandemic. And suddenly uh, I have this new offer that came to me and I'm, you know, to become a partner at my now firm. And I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm ready to go. And what's the first thing my wife says? Have you prayed about it? Uh, I share this because I was so worried that I was not going to get where I wanted to be at my previous job. And the moment I decided to actually give up that anxiety to God and say, Do you want me here or not? I got an answer. And then when this new opportunity came along and my wife said, Go pray about it, all I heard was, This is why. This is why you had to stay. So understand that. You may, be, you may not get the answer to the prayer that you want. You may be really anxious about the fact that I got to do this and give it up to God, and then God says the, answer, the opposite answer of what you want. But he could just be purifying you and making you better for what's coming.
0: And I think that's an important lesson. I appreciate you, you sharing that. Additional to that, I remember I've shared this before, but in between my two vocal cord surgeries, someone, you know, when I'm trying to figure out, like, is this is this it? like have i lost my career like what other options are there like i don't want to fly planes but i don't think pilots have to talk that much because <laughs> they just stick the microphone directly into their mouth mm-hmm. so they're going to talk like that that's what you
3: told me to do uh,
0: <laughs> right no 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 that would be like you uh, 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 i right, like that it's different i probably shouldn't have put that in my mouth <laughs> Don't say it. Don't say it. Nobody <laughs> well, say it. what you do for a club? Nobody bar. <laughs> say it. But like the the whole the whole thing, whenever someone threw this out there, it was just some random person in, in my inbox. They were like, hey, man, you need to consider the fact that God may have already used your voice for what he needed it to. Mm. Like you've got close to 500 episodes out there. You've got a bunch of interviews. You've spoken live a lot. God may have used, he may have squeezed out the last little bit of your voice for his glory. And you may need to deal with that because we all think we're entitled to our talents forever. Yep. And that you should trade your money for my talent, Mm -hmm. right? Whether you're working for the Fed or, you know, a government or you're even doing your own business. And that's kind of the thing that, that's obviously not the direction that we went, but what if that were the case? And I kept trying to force it, right? I kept trying to force this whole thing. No, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it even harder now. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, that's, that's, that's really not the point. And so I know there's a lot of anxiety. A lot of us cause our own anxiety by scrolling on Instagram and playing the comparison trap, comparing, you know, your wife to your neighbor's wife or your car to your neighbor's car or your kids to your neighbor's kids. And you create that type of attitude and it's only going to lead to anxiety and self selfishness because you're going to be, you're going to be lamenting the things that you have that had you not had them, you would have been begging for them as a blessing. Think about it this way. Like you got people that are like, oh, just, my kids just freaking suck. And then you got people that can't have kids because they can't even get pregnant. And they would love your crappy kids, right? You know what I mean? Like, give me those little bastards. Like, I'll take them. But the same thing, like, the people that are just struggling in their marriage and they just hate it and it's just terrible. Like, what about the single people that are so desperate to be in, in a marriage, even a crappy one? And that's just... You know, kind of where it goes.
3: You make a great point. I was just thinking about when you talked about last time about like what would my life been like if I went went and did this and went and did that, and I've I've had those same thoughts back in the day where it's like, oh man, if I wasn't married, I'd be having like a Ferrari, and you know, I would live in Chicago on a you know the twentieth floor, or, you know, all these great ideas. But then I think about it, I can't imagine my life without my wife. Can't imagine my life without my children. And that God had a better plan for me than i had for myself and i think that's one thing that we have to look at when we have that with those anxieties God's plan is better than whatever we can conceive ourselves.
0: I agree. That's a great place to leave it, guys. We will leave it there, but come back here next Sunday where we are going to dig into Matthew 7. So make sure you guys are caught up and read through the end of Matthew 7. And before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. We've got a link to our donation page. That's the only link there, guys. Guys, the only way we're able to pull off this all this content, the reason The Forging Table is here right now is because we have guys that are sacrificed their hard-earned dollars to support us because they believe in the mission of equipping men around the globe to push back darkness. So that link is there. Please hop on board and be a part of the team. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, per perpetua which is off their self-titled debut album on facedown records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah